Hey guys, how you doing today? Doing all right? Good to see you. Um, listen, it, it's kind of nuts. You know, we had the, uh, uh, the Rock, our children's ministry in here today. They went out in this like big party limo thing. You ever see these things? And, uh, you know, we got to keep telling them, do not give us the fully stocked bar for our kids when we go out. But, you know, they, they never cease to. Their year is winding down. School years are winding down. Guys, we are coming to the end of something that we've been doing um, since September here at FOF. What we've been doing this entire year is going through something that we call Jesus Bible right? Now, what is Jesus Bible? Jesus Bible is what we call the Old Testament. But remember, it wasn't old to him. To him, that was the Bible. That was the scriptures. And for him, it was, it was living. It was breathing. It was active. It was relevant. It made sense. It was a, it was a source of hope. And, and what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at something that comes near the end of it. Now, when I say the end of it, I don't mean if you're going through the books in some kind of order as they're, they're laid out. What I mean is chronologically. If you were to go through the Old Testament or Jesus Bible chronologically, you start coming to these prophets near the end, near the end at this time of exile that we've been talking about, and they are, they are totally paving the way for what is to come when Jesus comes on the scene. Now, Today, we're going to look at one chapter in particular, and it is, uh, I mean, I really can't overstate this. It is so, so central and so pertinent and just so, so, so big to, to paving the way that there is like no way I am going to do this justice in the next several minutes together. Um, and it's weird. It's weird. It's strange. It's convoluted. It, it, it's just like, what, when you read it? Um, People in Jesus' day, they kind of read it and went, what? You know, like, what do I do with this? How, how do I make sense of this? But, but the, the universal theme on this is that they all kind of had this sense that what it was talking about was something that they were experiencing in their day, even if they couldn't make the puzzle pieces fit together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you into that quagmire here today. I'm going to bring you in it and hopefully get you lost a little bit in it and help you make sense of it, but see why it's important because this is what it did for them. For them, it was all about hope. And when I say hope, it was about a raw, audacious, revolutionary hope that for them changed everything in here no matter what was going on out here. And what this chapter is, what this, this lightning rod is, is it is Daniel chapter 9. And I'd actually like to invite you to uh, turn to it here today. There's copies of Jesus' Bible under the chairs in front of you. If you don't know where Daniel is, just, just table of contents, the sucker. Um, Daniel chapter 9. And, and let's, let's kind of get lost in here and make sense of this. Now, while you're flipping, I'm going to do a little bit of grid work here to begin with to get us kicked off. We've been talking about this date for the last couple of weeks, okay? 538 BC. Now, let's matrix this to Daniel chapter 9. Here's what it says. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, 
who is made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. So, so Daniel kind of dates this for us. He says, when am I saying this? When is this happening? When am I writing this? In the first year of Darius, Darius, the son of Xerxes, Darius, the, the king of the Persian empire, guess what the date of the first year of Darius is? 538. That's why we're talking about it so much. So Daniel's basically saying in 538 BC, this stuff happened. What happened? Well, what's happening in Daniel's world that Daniel 9 is going to matrix with is basically this. A new world power comes on the scene. You see, about 50, 60 years earlier, maybe even 70, there was a different world power. It was called Babylon. It was led by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And what Babylon did to Israel changed everything. In 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he takes control of the region, he lays siege to Jerusalem. It's like the last holdout city of the entire kingdom of Israel. He lays siege to the city, he tears down its walls, the army scatters, the king scatters. He catches the king, he puts out his eyes, he puts him into slavery. He burns down the temple and he sends the people into exile. It's like human trafficking. 6th century BC. And uh, for Israel, I cannot overstate this. It changed everything. Because everything they put their hope in, everything that was a sign for them of God's presence, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, Jerusalem and the temple and the king and the land, all of it is just, just cut out of the knees. It's taken away and they're found, they're found in this, this place of, of suffering and confusion and defeat and despair because their faith got rocked to the core. And Daniel got dragged off into this. Daniel actually got dragged off into this when he was a young kid. See, see Nebuchadnezzar started doing his work in, in Israel before the final victory in 587 BC because if you're going to lay siege to a city old school, you do it over many years. Daniel actually gets exiled before that. In about 605 BC, Daniel's taken as a young kid and he's dragged off. Now, why the dates? They're going to get important in a minute because now it's 538. 605 minus 538, what are we landing at around there? Do the math. Yeah, right? I didn't come to do math. I graduated. We're talking about 70 years, a little shy, Right? a little shy of 70 years that Daniel has been living as an exile in Babylon. Went there as a young kid and now he's an old man. He's an old man and it's 538. And this is what he writes. He says, so in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of God given to Jeremiah the prophet. First, just ain't it cool that like Old Testament people were reading like other Old Testament people? It's like he was reading the Bible too. Daniel is actually there. He's reading this other prophet, Jeremiah, a prophet who prophesied around 605 BC at the start of this all. And he's sitting there and he's reading Jeremiah and he comes across this passage that says that the desolation of Jerusalem, what does that equate to? The exile that the exile would last 70 years. Daniel's taken in 605 BC. It's now 538 BC. How many years has it been? Just about 70 years. 
And here's Daniel, and he's looking at the world events unfold around him. He's looking at, at the way the tides are changing. Babylon isn't in control anymore. Our enemy's been cast down. Persia's in control now, and the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Persia's in control now, and they said, they said we can go back. They said we can go back to the land. They said we could rebuild the temple. And then he comes and he reads Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, 70 years. Oh my gosh, right? Are you with this? Could it actually be happening? What do you do when you've given up hope and then all the signs before you start pointing another way? When you've given up hope and then the world changes, your life changes, the world around you shifts and you go, wait a minute, something's different now. And then you dig in and you dig into God's word and it starts saying things and you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? Something is shifting now. This is the kind of pregnant hope that's coming out of Daniel 9. Are you with me? Now, what follows after this, after this place of Daniel coming to this, by the way, I, I, here's the Jeremiah passage if, you're, if you care. If, uh, as Daniel's coming out of this, what it does is it drives him to his knees. See, I, I find a lot of people will pray in hard times. But you know what I find happens even more? You tend to pray when you're in hard times, but in the midst of them, the possibility of hope is reborn. Because sometimes when it's just hard, you give up. You just kick it in with despair, right? You stop praying, because what difference does it make? Who cares? It doesn't seem to be doing any good, but then what happens when you're in the midst and it starts to change? Hope starts to resurrect again. Doesn't You've been there, right? And this is what's happening for Daniel. And he just, boom, he can just see, runs into his room, hits the bed, he's down on the floor. He's praying, he's letting it all out to God. Now, you remember that prayer that we did just a little bit ago? The big, long prayer that we went through? This is what Daniel prays. If you got Daniel 9, you can look at it again. He starts letting it out. It's like when the floodgates open, it just comes gushing. Lord, I've sinned. Lord, we've done wrong. Lord, I realize the last 70 years were our fault. Lord, I realize that you brought this upon us. Lord, I realize that, that my people, we had it coming. But Lord, you are a God who brings people out of Egypt. You are a God who is good. You are a God who is faithful. You did it before. You can do it again. So Lord, save Lord, save because we're in misery. Lord, save because my people are in misery. Lord, save because your reputation is at stake. Let the world know that you are a God who saves. And Daniel is letting it's all coming out. Now, something happens in the midst of this. It says that Daniel is praying, and you can check this out with me. If you jump to like verse 20, it says this, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord, uh, my God for his holy hill, you know, for Jerusalem, what happens? God shows up. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, right? This is like, you know, Christmas story, Gabriel. 
Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision. Which vision? Well, read Daniel. He came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, and he instructed me, and he said to me, Daniel, and check this line out, I have come to give you insight and understanding. All right, straight up. You ever read this thing, and you're just kind of like, huh? You ever have those moments where you're like, you know, if only God would just kind of show up a little bit here. If only he would show up a little bit here and kind of like, what the heck does this mean? What am I supposed to do with this? Am I getting it? Do you ever pray for that kind of moment? All right, Daniel actually gets it. Gabriel shows up. God sends this messenger and he says, okay, Gabriel, here it is. Let's lay it out. You're struggling with this Jeremiah thing. You're struggling with this world scene. Let's lay it out. And here's what Gabriel says. Okay, so wrap your mind around this. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people. How many did Jeremiah say? Seventy. Daniel is there at the near end of seventy. God shows up and goes, wait a minute, seven, seventies. Have you ever wished that God would show up? Have you ever wished that he didn't? It's like God comes down to Daniel and he goes, no, no, you think this is over, wait. Googleplex. I am going to Googleplex your weight. You know, 70, let's just square that. How about we just square that weight for you? Have you ever been at the tail end of waiting thinking, it's finally done, only for something to come along your path and go, wait, we ain't even getting started here yet. That's Gabriel's message to Daniel that day. Daniel, things ain't even getting rolling yet. Your wait has just begun. Now think about that a little bit. Maybe it's good Daniel didn't know it before the 70 began. How do you brace yourself for 490 from the beginning, you know? Because wait like that comes along, you just throw in the towel. Daniel, you're 70 in. You made it this far. Daniel, you can make it farther. You can keep going. I hate it when God says that. He does. He does to Daniel anyway, and for the people of Israel, 77s to come. Now, from here, guys, it just gets weird. It just gets really stinking weird, all right? Do you have it open in front of you? Read, read 25, verse 25 at the end of the chapter. All right, just just read it. Are you there? You got it? 
just clears it all up, doesn't it? It's just like, like, like really, God? This is the understanding that you're bringing me? Because that really helped. What do you do with that? It's like Gabriel shows up and Gabriel thinks he's being helpful. Let me lay out for you how this is going to play out. You got 77s to go. What does that mean? Like, what's a seven? Like, 70, is it days? 70 more days? Is it a year? Is it 70 more years? Is it like 77 sets? How do we even number this thing to begin with? And who's the anointed one that he's talking about? The word's going to go out from some ruler. Who's that ruler? I don't know. And who's the anointed one to come? Who's that Messiah to come? Is it Jesus? Daniel doesn't know Jesus. They didn't call Jesus a Messiah. Then they didn't even know who Jesus was. In fact, we see all kinds of people called the Messiah. Gabriel, what's going on? Now, there are more theories and interpretations to how to make sense of what, what, what Gabriel is unpacking than I can go through here today. The debates on this and the controversies and the people that are going at it, and it's not just ivory tower stuff, and it wasn't for Daniel either. You know why? Because this was the key. I mean, man, this was the code. This was the key to how his suffering was going to play out. You ever suffer? Wouldn't you like a key to understanding how it was going to play out? This is Daniel's key. So there's stakes here in this. I want to know what this means. But he didn't. Now, I can take you through a bunch of theories on this today. And they're interesting, and I geek out on that kind of stuff, but I know I'm alone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to kind of boil this down, all right? What I'm going to try to do is boil this down to a, a lowest common denominator idea of what's going on so that we don't lose the forest for the sake of the trees in Daniel chapter 9. What is this about? Let me start here. Let me start here. One, you don't know when it's coming. And even when you think you know it's coming, you really don't know when it's coming because it's up for interpretation. There are so many times I think we find ourselves in life holding on by a thread, looking for hope, thinking that this is the answer, only to be surprised when it's not. How many times do we do the math? And I'm talking in our own life. We do the math and we try to find the story arc and we try to make it all line up and we realize there's more than one way of looking at it. See, what Daniel 9 is fundamentally about is that the wait is going to be longer than you first thought, but it is a wait that is not absent of hope. And you don't know, Daniel, when that hope is coming. And FOF, you don't know when it's coming either. You might think you know, but you don't. And I think maybe sooner, the sooner we come to terms with that, the sooner we stop setting ourselves up for crushing disappointment when the thing that we've hoped in comes tumbling down. Are you with me on that? You know what I mean? Number two, hope's appearance is often unexpected. 
when you are sitting there and you're hoping and you're holding on and you think that this is the answer, you ever go that way and you think it's finally solved and it doesn't come the way that you expected it to come? See, I find this works better for me in retrospect. There are so many times where I'm in the midst of something and people can reasonably come up and say, like, where is God in this? But have you ever gone through something those dark nights of the soul, those seasons of life, those periods of torment, those times of personal exile. You know what I mean? You ever go through those times? And through the midst of it, you're like, hope is gone. God is gone. Where, where is... But you come through it and you look back. You look back after you've come out the other side and you see that God's hand was involved and hope had given birth but often in ways that you didn't expect at the time. I mean, it's so cliche, but it reminds me of that classic story. You know the one, the flood's coming, the guy's got to get out of his house, so he gets up on his roof because the water line's coming up, and he's like, God, save me. And he's sitting there on his roof prying out, and like, like the boat comes by. Like, dude, jump in. He's like, no, no, I'm praying to God. God's going to save me. And so they leave, and God, save me. The helicopter comes by, and come on, buddy, get in, and no, no, God's going to rescue me, and, you know, the, the flood water goes over his head, and he drowns, shows up in heaven, God, why don't you save me? He's like, I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter, what do you think I'm doing? You know what I'm saying, right? How many times does hope come in a way that we don't expect, that we don't expect God to involve himself with, and God's not going to, hope comes in the most unexpected ways, and in allowing yourself to be open in the time of exile, for God to work when and where and how he pleases makes all the difference in the world. You know, just one more log I want to throw on the fire with this. God's faithful. You know, you don't pray that kind of prayer that Daniel prayed if you don't think that. You don't pray at all if you don't think that. But what's coming out from Gabriel here is, Daniel, it's not going to play out like you thought. But God is faithful. You can trust him. When he says he's going to do something, he's actually going to do it. You can take him at his word. Doesn't mean you always understand it right. It doesn't mean it's always on your timing. It doesn't mean it's your way, but God is going to do it. I mean, let's face it, what's his prayer? God, you sent us into exile because you said you were going to do it. You were faithful and you brought upon us what you threatened. Period. That blows, but you know what it shows? God is faithful which means that, God, when you give us a promise, a hope, you're going to be faithful there too. And that right there, guys, I mean, that, that's the linchpin. That is the difference in your life between hope and despair. Because if you actually think God is faithful there will always be a ray of hope in any exile you're in. But if you have ceased to think that God is faithful, when exile comes, 
You got nothing but doubt, uncertainty, despair, you know? Can you trust that God will do what he says he will do? And that is what Daniel 9 is fundamentally about. And that meant everything for people at the time of Jesus. Because, see, they were in exile too. They were struggling too. And they were doing the math. And they were doing the math in that weird part you read. And a lot of them started realizing, wait, if we do the math in a certain way, that means it should be coming around this day. Is this the day that Daniel promised was finally going to come to pass? And who comes on the scene? Jesus. And when he came, no one knew it. No one knew it. Not even the dude who was letting him use the barn knew it. Some, some shepherds hanging out, getting drunk in a field or something, you know? Well, Gabriel went and told them. That was about it. Two, uh, two astrologers from Persia. Ironic, given Daniel 9, or maybe not. And they figured it out. That was it. No one knew when he came because you don't know when it's coming. And he was so unexpected, wasn't he? I mean, people looked at Jesus and they sized, sized him up and it's like, eh. He didn't fit the mold. This isn't how God's gonna deliver us. This isn't how God's gonna bring us out of exile. This isn't what a Messiah is supposed to look like. This isn't the picture of God's rescue and revolution. It didn't fit their mold. Jesus came and it was unexpected. And you know what was cool? Jesus was faithful. He was faithful to his mission. He was faithful to his father's will. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that meant freedom, deliverance, rescue, the end of exile, hope realized again. Guys, my encouragement to you out of Daniel 9 is to not lose sight of what God is up to. To not lose sight out of the strange, unexpected times and ways he brings his hope. And to not lose sight of Jesus, who is the lightning rod and linchpin of it all. Because it's there that hope is born. And it's there that rescue is found. It's there that God is faithful. It's there that God says, look at this, look at this. You can take me at my word. And that meant everything for the people in Jesus' day. We're gonna, we're gonna commune today. It's a, it's a hope fest, you know? It's a hope meal. Jesus gives him this meal and he says, come and don't forget. Don't forget the hope you have in me. He takes this, this bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples who are gathered with him. And he says, take and eat. Eat this. It's my body because God is faithful. So I'm giving this for you. And he takes a cup and he gives it to them. He says, drink this, all of you. This is, this is my blood 
This, this cup is my blood and it's poured out for you because I'm gonna pour out my blood for you. It's a new covenant of my faithfulness to you. It's for the forgiveness of all of your sins. It is raw, audacious, revolutionary hope. Don't forget. Come, eat and drink. Remember me. So whether you are basking in hope today or holding on by a thread, I invite you to come to this meal of hope to help you remember the hope he's promised you. Guys, would you rise? We've been praying this prayer um, out of Isaiah. It's this prayer of the people in exile. And maybe you're, you're grasping for hope, holding on exile here today. I just encourage you, make their prayer again your prayer today.